And the Bob McCowan podcast is now on the air. The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. All right, here we go. The Knights have assembled on this Friday evening, October 16th, 2020. This is episode 26 of the Anime Roundtable version 2.0. A quick reminder once again that if you have any questions or comments concerning whatever we say that will piss you off tonight, or whatever we've said in the past episodes that you've stewed over, you can email us, animeroundtable at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at animeroundtable, and AnimeRoundtable.com for show notes and archives of the past episodes. And I'll mention the Discord again because James and I think we'll be doing something in there soon just to test it out a little more. Well, if you like us, you can also email that in as well. You don't have to just hate us to to reply to us. What if I want to send a physical letter? What can I do then? Well, see, you write that letter. And it- that is not an option for privacy reasons. That's what PO boxes are for. Don't forget to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and the like, because we could always use a good review. And you guys were wondering about the promo we played last week. I think at least one listener came out of the woodwork in the last month. And they do podcasts as well. One of the test subjects of a show called the Skeleton House Podcast sent us an email about a month ago saying that they listened to us way back and were fans then. And wanting to re-listen to old episodes, they searched us out again and found out there were new episodes and then contacted us asking, well, we're doing a podcast as well. Can we play a promo on it? So if any other podcast is listening, (laughs) probably not, but we'll play promos if you email us and we'll see what we can do for you. We do know Bob's listening, so that's one person. Uh, Bite me. (laughs) Mike Nicholas, once again, in the Six Point Studio in the Toronto West End. James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, you know that they're there now? And we're all together in modified stage two. Well, yes. So quick COVID update. And we have a bunch of stories from the COVID world this week. The greater Toronto area, or most of it, Toronto proper and Ottawa. Okay, that's not Toronto, but Ottawa and Peel region, which is the western suburbs of Toronto. They were all forced back into stage two. So restaurants, gyms, and bars have been forced to close their dine-in service or their services altogether in the case of gyms. And word came down this afternoon that York Region, which is the northern suburbs of Toronto, will face stage two beginning on Monday. So I would imagine that there's going to be a run on dinners in that area over this weekend which is something that Toronto never had a chance to do because they implemented stage two 
pretty much within hours of its announcement on Friday. Cases have been, unfortunately, on the uptick, as it has been through much of North America, really. How is that in Europe? Anyone know? It's terrible. Still pretty bad there. Too. <laughs> the the UK is doing their uh, their new lockdowns. France is doing lockdowns. All of Europe is being. I just I'm not a fan of the zoning situation. The idea that one section is good and another section is not good. Like well, like like when when Toronto went into lockdown, Vaughan was still open, and I live in North Etobicoke, so I'm like on the border between Toronto and Vaughan, and I find it ridiculous that coronavirus stops at borderlines. Yeah, <laughs> somehow it doesn't. <laughs> it's just, it's Basically, just gonna... it feels that way, right? So. Yeah, exactly. It's just dumb. And and people are, you know, trying to get around that, that those rules. We mentioned gyms. Well, people, Toronto residents with gym memberships of well-known chains are going out to other branches outside of their their region, and that's. I love the lines. The lines are the best. People lining up to use a gym. It's like. I don't know. Like, I feel I don't, I don't know what to say about that. Just, just lining up to use a gym just seems a bit. I don't know. Like, it's come on. Hey, <laughs> you people know? need to work out. It's part of a healthy lifestyle. You it's know what? Thing. You're you're right. You're 100 percent correct. I, I I I I applaud everyone who who got up and decided to wait in the three hour line to work out for an hour. I I I amend you. I I know <laughs> people who went to Burlington to go work out. Yes, that's been. You know, it's not. It's not that far away. People make Burlington seem like it's in another town. It's not. Oh, well, it is another town, but it's not that far away. It's like not that far a drive. It's still out of the hmm. way, though. Oh yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah. What else do we want to talk about in this COVID update? Oh, word came down this week also that Palladium is closing as well. Oh man. Okay, I guess we should talk a little bit about Palladium because. It has its roots in Sega City, really. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say Sega City and Mississauga. And that's always what I remember. Like, even though it's Palladium, Palladium, I always called that Sega City, the one by Square One. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing that really spells um, Palladium to me is remember when they had the location downtown Toronto in the location right beside what's now um, Scotiabank uh, Theater. Which was. I thought more and impressive, that, actually. Yeah, and it was like three floors. It was ridiculous. I think YTV, um, I forget what it is, like PJ Film um, did a show. I forget what it was called, like video game show, and they did it based on it there. And it, okay. it was. I didn't know about that part. It, it, I've been there, I went there once, not too long after it opened, and I don't know how long it lasted. I feel like, like it didn't last that long. Like it, it, it didn't Maybe feel like it years. lasted that long, but it definitely left an imprint and it always made me wonder about every time I went in when it became a chapters because remember it became a chapters and that lasted way longer than uh, Palladium did oh I thought and it was then, a of course that closed down and now it's um was it I a Michael's Craft Store or something yeah, like I think that? no I think it was a if memory served me right I think that particular spot was a nightclub the chapters was not too far away though mm. roughly in the same area I thought it was in the corner and stuff like that in mm-hmm. that sector but you're right it could be well we should backtrack a little bit about palladium and when it comes to this region and when it comes to the toronto region palladium was an uh, best be described as an indoor amusement park probably well, harkens more like an arcade i guess 
I was going to yeah. say more of an arcade roots. That's what it was with all the arcade games and stuff like mm-hmm. that, virtual reality well, experiences. Well, yeah, it can be best described as a North American take on the game center, I guess for lack of a better explanation. I and, always saw it as uh, as like an adult version, not adult, but like an older kid's version of like a Chuck E. Cheese kind of situation where it's like Chuck E. Cheese for like kids under the age of 10. And then like <clears> once you reach that age, you kind of wanted something a little bit more better so you have prop stadium right and then they added stuff of course like the go-karting the rock climbing and then they added bowling i think later adding cage that which was actually licensed by the toronto blue jays for a time i know that was pretty cool the thing was the blue jays branding never was painted over even though the partnership had long ended so their late 90s or mid 90s logo was was still on the thing at last check Wow. And the maybe what's most noteworthy to fans of this show was, yes, it had a license with Sega. So Palladium opened up back in the mid-90s as Sega City at Palladium. I just remember everyone calling it Sega City. That's all I yeah, remember. And, lo- and locals just plain called it Sega City. And I think a lot of them still do to this day. Palladium is set to close at the end of November, but right from, I think, is it just me? Does Was Palladium in trouble pretty early on in its life cycle? Like, there's a part of me that's surprised that it lasted, oh, 25 some odd years. I mean, I, I assume it probably had some issues back in the day where, our, you know, video games are booming, I guess, but... I don't know. I think it's, it found its niche or something. It reinvented itself a couple of times. I was thinking that it feels like as well, and Mo might remember this too, Cineplex has started to diversify and one of their areas was similar to what Palladium was doing where these smaller interactive type places where people can go in either for video games, food, and then entertainment and stuff like that. And they said, and I'm not sure how profitable they are, but they were saying that they were trying to interact more, I guess, with people and stuff like that, and that that would drive them in. Well, yeah, and must be noted, Palladium is now owned by Cineplex. Yeah, that's what I thought, that they had ended up picking them up, and that's why they were going to be like a test bed, and it was going to be driven across the country as these smaller spaces than what we saw for the Palladium and stuff like that. but. I would say for them, as we know, with COVID, it's not a recipe for success when you, no one can really go and interact with each other. So. Yeah, they're, they're, obviously, there's a lot of other issues when it comes to Cineplex right now. But my first blush on the whole thing was, and this is also what happened when Rec Room opened up in, within Square One across the street recently. There was a part of me that, two, that said the two couldn't coexist, especially in Square One. So... The announcement of its closing doesn't ultimately surprise me, although I I know there's some differences, but I've never really been to a rec room, so I can't. I will will say for the rec room, it it always felt like the third level in regards to like these video game type establishments. It's like Palladium is more for like teenagers, I guess, and rec room is meant for like adults. So basically take your Chuck E. Cheese metaphor from earlier. Exactly. Cheese, Palladium, Rec Room, yeah. as they grow up. 
But I, I, I'm yeah, super, I, I, and then I, I, I think they're going to do like a seniors version of the Rec Room where it's just for seniors. So the, <laughs> the life cycle completes. I think, I think they call those retirement homes. That's going to be our retirement it's, home experience. Exactly. exactly. So you exactly. won't be able to hear anything anyway, so you can just pump up the music and pump up. Well, it's going to be a room full of Nintendo Wiis. Oh, boy. <laughs> you, know, you know what? There is an argument, at least, concerning the benefits of certain video games for seniors in terms of their mobility and no their... no of course and yeah, we, that board, we play mm-hmm. so but so you in, know remember they told so us that of... video games would destroy us all and it probably has so to some degree <laughs> it's redeemed us and others too but thinking back uh, like quickly just to end off on the play the funny thing is so if that closes they're probably, uh, for an example, Square One, that area there north of Square One by the highway, they're, they've closed up pretty much all those things that were basically off-site from the Square One proper. So they're probably going to redevelop that whole area there and stuff. It like was that. funny. Yes, the one thing... Because they, they moved all that other stuff all every, inside when they redeveloped it. Well, yeah, okay. So, and once again, we have to kind of give a whole outline of the this area square one in the mid 90s just north of it across the street they opened up a whole plaza development like it was during the during the whole big box thing as it became big so to speak across the street they opened up a movie theater it was a famous players at the time but now it's part of cineplex yeah, because that was the time where all our movie theaters were moving into the stadium scene and they were moving out of the malls and into their own uh into their own complexes. complexes. The one in, this particular one was considered was one of the first in the GTA. Yeah, Certainly one of the Coliseum. more noteworthy ones. The Coliseum it's called. And then the other anchor stores was Sport Check and then Chapters and then at the other end of this development was Sega City Palladium. And now Within the last couple of years, Sportcheck has moved back inside Square One. Chapters has rebranded as Indigo and has moved back inside Square One. For all intents and purposes, the spiritual successor, once again, of Palladium has moved into Square One as well. Coincidentally, right beside Indigo, for that matter. So really what's left is a couple restaurants and the Cineplex. For reference, and of course, uh, the Transit Hub, of course, too. The Transit Hub. To go. So there's going to be some say something on there. They had a sign. I, I was there recently, and they had a sign. They were talking about redevelopment and stuff like that. And that was not on the Sega City site, but on the site for the chapters and the sports track, track where they used to be. Well, I think they can extend that now. Hey, guys, that's a big, where, where was okay. the former sports track located? Was it? Next to it, I guess, where the Starbucks. Yeah, was next to it, and it ran directly along the four hundred three in that area. Yeah, okay. So, so it so was it, right it was behind like... those two restaurants. So you had the sports check facing the highway, and then right uh, diagonal away from it was that chapters, the bookstore. Mm. Uh, okay, okay. So it's yeah. like Palladium, that that chapters, and then like the movie theater, right? And then sports check and the movie. If you look at it as a baseball diamond with home plate facing south, 
start with chapters, and then first base would be Palladium, second base would be Sport Check, and then third base, albeit all the way, a bit away, would be the Cineplex. And then there may be a couple restaurants sprinkled in. Yeah. In between. I, I uh, mean, it, do they need more housing there? Like, it's... Like, well, that's another story altogether, I'm afraid. I didn't see anything of them doing it. I think they want to keep it commercial. I don't think they're going to turn it into condos like they have with a good portion of the area there and stuff like that in the city center of what is Mississauga. Mm-hmm. Because they definitely have went vertical, and that has definitely helped uh, probably Square One and some of those other things, and that's why they've kind of moved in. So they have a hub for those people. Yeah. Could be. But that's Palladium. And once again, it is set to close at the end of October. I think more specifically, November 1st. Get it while it's hot. Oh, and one other thing, and this is probably a little bit more for the Toronto anime fans. We forgot to mention last episode of the closing of the Fudama Chinese Bakery along Spadina in Chinatown. Any anime fan would have probably frequented that stretch of Toronto because in the 90s, Chinatown had a couple good anime memorabilia stores, and these were legit stuff imported. And then ultimately, somewhere along the line, Anime Extreme, which is one of the more popular anime stores, is... I think still kicking around uh, in the northern part of Spadina as well. Yeah, yeah it's still, still there. there. Mm-hmm. It's still there. It's one of the few survivors downtown, considering everyone else had to move out of downtown because of the rents. Yeah. Furama is, was kind of iconic to uni- the university students also in that area, because that part of Chinatown, if you went to U of T, if you went to Ryerson, that's not too far away from either. It's somewhat in between of those two universities and it was very much frequented as such. A lot of uh, a lot of friends who went to those schools I know were lamented the loss of the place a couple weeks ago. But it was a it was a good place. Mohammed A, old Mohammed, he he really liked the place. He was saddened to hear about the place closing down too. Boy, we're going to have a bunch of depressing news this week, I think. I do miss Barama. I didn't go to it very often after I moved out of Toronto, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went here and there. I lived in Toronto for one year, and I lived and I ate at Farama here and there occasionally. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I miss it. Uh, there are other Farama locations, though. Uh, I know there was one in the past. And mm-hmm. I know at one point they were in a couple of Walmarts in Scarborough. I never knew if they were the exact same people, but I suspected they were. It was a family-run business from from the reports. So, as I said, a bit of a sad story. Okay, we should get we should get right to it. This is like our old school episode. We talked for like half an hour before really getting right onto things. Right? We can talk about other stuff a bit later on. I know, you, I have an iPhone story as well. iPhone pre-orders reopened up today. I get it. Oh, right. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that a bit later. But we do have a couple things to mention tonight. 
As we started our week on Monday, word came down that Izumi Matsumoto, best known to older anime fans as the creator of the 80s hit Kimigori Orange Road, had passed away after succumbing to complications related to spinal stenosis. He had actually passed away back on October 6, but that news wasn't made publicly known until six days after, I think after his funeral had occurred. Izumi Matsumoto was 61. Anyone who had kept up with any version of his story understood that this was likely coming as Matsumoto-sensei had been stricken with various spinal ailments for some time. But as the cliche goes, it's still sad when the news finally comes down. According to reports, Matsumoto had long desired to continue his manga work, but obviously that was never to be. Now, on a personal level, anyone who listens to basically any episode of this podcast knows that I am a very big fan of Kimigori Orange Road, and I'll always regard the anime as my hook that fully made me a fan, and will rate it amongst my top three favorites, and maybe for this week, my number one. But strangely though, I've never given myself the time to actually read the manga. Of course, the English translation of the manga is a fairly recent development, and by my own admission, the furthest I've ever gotten in it is partway through Volume 2. And every time I get there, something else distracts me and I have to start over. So my next pandemic goal now is in my watching and reading to-do list is to read a significant portion of the manga, if not finish it. One thing that I'm wondering, because I wasn't keeping up with the Kimigori Orange Road Kickstarter, was he able to finish all of his autographs? No, he was he was not able to finish um, some of the goals that involved him and stuff like that because his mm. health had deteriorated and Digital Manga had uh, stated that on the thing, and I can't remember what they tried to do um like they probably tried to decide to compensate for that but i'm not sure yes, what that and was and he did offer his apologies on that personally because yeah he was involved uh, and they got him involved in that kickstarter and okay people, and i was i was angry because i uh, at some of the reactions to that there were people who were genuinely upset i get that because i knew they were trying to get them out and i knew his illness was slowing him down considerably but i just never knew if it had eventually been finished or not so that answers that mm -hmm. well just to go through some of this timeline they mentioned uh he started to take his tough turns like turn for the worse roughly 2016 and um, there was reports that he was bedridden that's probably where the reports uh, met, surfaced about him not being able to complete some of the stuff for the kickstarter the spinal stenosis diagnosis, I believe, came down last year, was it? Yeah, it, this one was kind of tough to hear. And I know that his whole career will probably be defined by Kimmy Gordon Droid. It's not a bad thing. I will say, though, I can only speak as a fan. And as a fan, yeah, it's a big, big loss. But that said, I never met him and certainly didn't spend any significant period of time around him and 
James last night pointed my attention to a really, really well done article written by Kat Callahan on Anime News Network, who was his liaison back in 2012 when he was at uh, what? What convention was it again? Was it? It was at Katsucon in 2012. Correct, Katsucon. So it was, and first of all, we we have to put a link to this article. This is a really, really well done tribute by Callahan. And it was a very personal tribute as well, who depicted a very, very engaging Matsumoto who took a lot of interest in what she was doing. And Kat Callahan is very well-versed. She's a, she is a, a writer and a journalist. I think she's based in Japan, has written on a number of different subjects concerning Japanese politics. So she was... Very well-versed, but by far her favorite manga was Kimigori Orange Road. She actually learned Japanese to read the manga. As I said, I keep joking, I'd be jealous that she got to spend so much time, but she knew a lot of her stuff. And the Izumi Matsumoto she said she met at the time was a very unassuming character. In many respects, she started to understand a lot of his motivations when he wrote it. Right, he, he was a big music fan, which influenced the anime very heavily. And I guess when I think about it, really, I'm a fan of the anime, and but I'm a fan of the title overall. I, I just, as I said, really got to give myself time to read all the 18 volumes of it. And in many respects, Matsumoto is very much reflected in Kyosuke as an everyman person. But also, and this is probably where the part of the legacy that he leaves behind, he basically started to establish certain archetypes within both the two main female characters, Matoka and Hikaru. Probably most, no, most notably the Sundere type that Matoka is most famous for. Which I thought was an interesting observation. And many, many, many reports kind of point to his role in mainstreaming the Sundere type. There's been Plenty of academia written on on that archetype. Was Kimigori Orange Road the first romantic comedy in Shonen Jump? It might have been one of them. Now, they talk about that and Touch were one of the first two in the era that were that type where it was either one guy after two girls or a romantic uh, comedy and stuff like that of the era and especially in shonen jump and stuff like that because it was never really seen because we were thinking of a time when you have fist of the north star you have city hunter you have cat's eye you have jojos and stuff like that so it definitely broke the mold and they originally i think even in the article that cat wrote for anime news network they admit, he admitted, and people admit, they weren't sure it was going to work in uh, Shonen Jump. It's mm. like, we'll see what happens, because it wasn't a sure-fire hit, and somehow it became a hit. And I think he even admitted one of the times he realized it was a hit was he was in a subway, and people were reading his title. Like, there were a number of people just on the subway reading Yeah, I can't title. think of any other romantic comedies in Shonen Jump before Kimigori Orange Road, because Touch, I believe, would have been in Shonen Sunday. 
but yeah, I can't think of anything else. And especially given the readership of Shonen Jump and stuff like that at the time, it was for them a risk, even though it's so hard to believe now with how many stories are similar to what Touch and uh, Kimikori Orange Road are now. Like taking ideas and involving them to where they are now. Yeah. I mean, the the archetypes are common now, right? But that's where we are. And even today in Shonen Jump, you have you have your one romantic comedy title and then your one really perverted romantic comedy title. That's why we that's why we can have titles like Strawberry 100% or Video Girl I in Shonen mm-hmm. Jump. No, sir, that, that's a keen observation. The one that sticks out to me, and as I said, I have to read the manga too, but I remember in the OAV, they introduced one of Kyosuke's cousins who was a girl and had ultimately developed a crush on Madoka. And I think I'm, it's one of the earliest examples I could think of or I could recall of same-sex attraction in a mainstream anime. Obviously, we see that depicted many times over in doujins. But it's the first time I could recall it being done, you know, improper. In, you mean explicit interest, right? Because it was, it was, yeah, it came that way, yeah. Because if you want... If I remember the UAV. If, if we're, because if we include implicit imaginary interest... Then, oh, we can go across the board. Then, then yeah. You, I would say uh, St. Thea... <laughs> yeah, but you no, know, this was pretty expressed, certainly. So that's the that's the one thing I reflect on. There's a lot of reflections here on yeah, the story. I was, I was reading again there, Mike, thinking about what we had said before, and it's like I found the one quote uh, that we we're saying, and they basically told uh, Matsumoto the. Shonen Jump people, they said, keep your expectations low. A male-oriented romance story aimed at Shonen Jump readership of mainly junior high school boys. They said, it, it might not last, but heck, we'll see how the readers react and stuff like that. Yeah. And it kind of ties into a thing they said earlier about Matsumoto himself, saying that he was a fan of manga and anime growing up. And his interests only increased after he realized he wasn't able like, to have a career in music and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that he wanted this type of story, but he didn't see it in the manga of that day. He talked about he wrote- how he could find plenty of adventures, giant robots, superheroes, and samurai on the shonen side, and plenty of romance and drama and school life on the shoujo side. But there were few works that crossed those boundaries and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. he wanted to read, as he said, a story about a teenage male protagonist dealing with those same issues. And he was never able to find one to his satisfaction, so he decided to create his own. And that's how it all kind of yeah, came together. That was a theme. That was a theme in the in the tribute. Constantly saying Matsumoto wanted to write a story that he would want to read. Turns out a lot of people want to read it. You know, on a personal level, it was, we were talking late 80s and then into the 90s. Roughly that time for me, 
I discovered it in the mid to late nineties when it was introduced at a, at the uh, York University Anime Club that I frequented, and I think that it was around the time the Wonder Years ended its broadcast run. And to me, I drew a lot of parallels. I was a fan of that show back then, or at least I watched it. Shooting myself in the foot, maybe admitting I was a fan of it, but I saw a lot of parallels with it, and that was part of its charm. As I said, it was the show that 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 hooked me completely uh, as an anime fan. So. It's just sad news, really. I was thinking that uh, it definitely is sad, but it's definitely timeless that new fans are still finding it through uh, the new discotheque release. And as you said, you found it and it was still older and you then showed it to uh, some of us at York University yet again uh, in the early uh, aughts. And that uh, got more people to fall in love with and stuff like that. and. It's definitely great to keep on talking about because as we know with some of the newer fans, they're so tied to the new stuff and it's like, oh my God, I got to get on the new stuff and stuff like that. It doesn't feel like the old days where all of it was just coming us and even if it was old, we were gobbling it up and it didn't feel old to us even though we knew it was old and stuff like that. So it's great if others can uh, enjoy that and stuff like that and take something different. Because it definitely feels like a breath of fresh air, especially if you've just been watching the new stuff now. Mm-hmm. Well, for what it's worth, we we talked, we joked around a bit, a little bit about Ready Player One a month or so ago. Like this would have fit in. This would have fit in because of the feel of its music as well. It was a very '80s show. If it's worth something, we have reached out to Cat Callahan. And I think we're going to get a chance to talk with her at some point in the very near future. So we'll get to expand on all these feelings a little bit more, but we want to get some reaction since the news is still fairly fresh as well. There's something to look forward to right there. Let's take the break. And you know what else we have to look forward to after the break? What? The bullets and uh, and of course an iPhone story. That's when we get back. It's the Anime Roundtable on the Six Talk Podcast Network. And the podcast now continues. Nicholas Austin Ing Shamarki, continuing the conversation with you. James, you had one final thought. I, I'm sorry, I cut off the whole thought on Matsumoto before we threw it to break. No, I was just thinking the final thought was that uh, just uh, watching Kimigori Orange Road or, of course, reading the manga and stuff like that, it's a great tribute to his memory that he was able to create something that inspired a lot of people across the world and stuff like that. And that was another thing that's mentioned in a few of the articles that he was impressed by how it spread, I guess, across the world into the English-speaking audience and to other audiences. Callahan said she was just happy Matsumoto got a chance to know how much his work touched people here. And I think that's probably the best way that article ended. We're going to get her thoughts, as I said, uh, you know, probably within the next week or so. Okay, let's lighten this up a little bit. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Kevin's awesome ice cream run, or do you want to 
talk about me trying to snag an iPhone today. Which one do you want to talk about? Oh, can you do both at the same time? I just want to know. It'll sound like a hot mess, like the show itself. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Could he get the ice cream and order an iPhone at the same time in the morning? Or is that impossible? It would have been impossible. And I don't like I don't like iPhones anyway. You know, Kevin Mo, I know you two are Android guys, so Yep. Oh, I was thinking we could do maybe Sony Ericsson or maybe a flip phone. No? I miss those phones. Those phones are bricks. They're interesting, yes. Okay. Kevin, what happened today? So many times in university, but uh okay, so what the hell happened? I mean, admittedly, we did start our taping a little late tonight because Kevin because went to it get was my ice cream. fault. Because it was my fault. Yes. Well, you, usually it is. But what happened? <laughs> what happened? Like, I got to hear this story because so my sister needs to pick up something in Markham, so we decided to. Do that first, then eat dinner, then get the ice cream that I had to pre-order the day before. Yes, pre-order because... And and just to preface it again, we mentioned Markham. Markham's in York region. Last chance to dine in before the Monday uh, lockdown, right? Yes, so we, we did eat uptown. More so because we were... We knew we were going to be too hungry by the time we got home. But in any case, we decided to save the ice cream pickup for last. So so actually, it's not ice cream. It is gelato because there is a difference. I know. I, I sometimes have to Google it. But yeah. So it's a local place called Bar Ape. And they make a mean gelato. So good that when they were not doing walk-ups they would put their selection online every thursday at 8 p.m and it would sell out in minutes and And this is the beauty of the story but we're about to hear the best part of the story guys i'm gonna sit back so we finish eating and we get there at around 8 10 Usually they hold their pickups from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. And if you're not there by 9 p.m., they will sell your pre-order even though you already paid online. We get there, and there is a large line going down the street. I would say there were around 30 to 40 people in line. A bunch of suckers myself included, waited in that line just to pre-order their ice cream, to pick up their pre-ordered ice cream, I should say. And what they started doing a little while back was if you pre-ordered ice cream, then they were actually running the soft serve machine and you can pick up one as well. And then they also announced a few hours before opening that you could also pick up some pints, which they you cannot pre-order. So the lineup was a mix of walk-up and pre-order. Mostly pre-order. Mostly pre-order. Because the people who 
saw their Instagram story about the pints, likely went and made sure they picked those up early because they had almost no flavors left for their pints. And obviously the pints would be worth it. It'd be, it's more value for your dollar, unlike the things that we pre-ordered, because they're like four cones with ice cream in them packaged in advanced. And it's, it's cash only. Yeah. Cash and only? That, and cash only if you're picking yeah. up at the door. Okay. Pre-order hey, you uh, have to do by credit which, card. Which one did you get? So the soft serve tonight was a banana and salted caramel swirl. Cool. Oh, it was damn good. Oh, sounds good. You, you know that you have a good product when people are waiting in for 30 minutes in five degree weather. Five degrees Celsius. Yes. We do have American listeners. Yes. I don't know where, but sorry. And we did not have enough money for pints because my sister only had $5 in cash and I left my wallet at home. Way to go. <sighs> but uh, this will be the last trip for the season because... They close up, right? They're about to close for the season? Or yeah. you just don't want to go through the trouble? I don't want to go through the trouble again. I shouldn't be eating gelato anyway because it's not healthy. Well, com- it's also well, not cheap. We- yeah. Well, we are in times where we need our share of comfort food, I'm afraid. Don't right? need them. It's just nice to have. It's good for the soul, if not for your health. More so the soul. Yes. Well, your your story sounds more interesting than my iPhone story. So you got it, right? <laughs> well, for start, the short answer is yes. Well, quickly, <laughs> did anybody in the standby line... Did anybody in the standby line snag any of the uh, pre-orders? Did anybody no. miss out? Uh, do we have knowledge. any sense that anyone missed out? Because that would have been hilarious. Not to my knowledge, because I, I waited almost half an hour to pick mine up, and my Sweet. sister as well. Uh, and mm. we picked up a soft serve because we had barely enough money for it. And actually, what was it. funny was we were eating it before driving off to go back home, and then... We, there was a guy that walked by our car on the phone with a buddy saying like, what the hell is this? And then you hear, you don't hear what the person on the line saying, but then the guy was responded by saying, really, that's what it is. What the hell? And then like walked off. (laughs) It's a thing. Okay. Do we have time for the iPhone store? Do we have time? We have all the time. Yeah, that's true too. Let's do it. It's not, it's, there's nothing spectacular about it, especially when you consider how iPhone releases go. But yes, the pre-orders for two of the four iPhone 12 models happened this morning at 8 a.m. our time, the 6.1 inch models, if you kept up with the news. So it's just the standard iPhone 12 and then the smaller version of the iPhone 12 Pro. Those are the only two models that went on sale. The other extremes, the really big one, and then the really small one, they're set to go on pre-order on the 6th. One of my favorite websites is iPhoneInCanada.ca. Last night, just before I turned in, there was an article they put up on tips to successfully order online. 
and I followed the advice. The upshot of it was basically set up your Apple Store account in advance. If you're using the app, just check your all your settings, make sure your payment's all in place. If you're going to use a second device, use a second device. They suggested that it would be like another iOS or iPad OS device. So I set up my iPad to do the trick. Your name, address, your shipping address, your billing details, etc. And then one last tip was also set your iPhone to not be on Wi-Fi. Set it to LTE. So it had a separate way to, to load the app. And then you can keep the other thing on your your Wi-Fi network. And completely force close all, all applications before going back in. Went fine, went to sleep, woke up just before 8 a.m. You know, yes, they shut down the store, got your splash page that said, we'll be right back, etc. 8 a.m., all comes up. Oh, and yes, put the model you want to order on your, in your favorites quickly so that you can just click, click, and you're done. Basically said, go back into your favorites, click on the model you want, go into the shopping bag, uh, agree to the touch ID, and you're done. 8 a.m. comes along. Yes, it opens up about 8.02. Tried to go in. There is no indication that I could put the model I wanted in the bag. I, I was looking for it, and I couldn't find it. I found out there was two things I forgot to click on. It asked, do you have an old phone do you want to trade in? Apple's been promoting the trade-ins this year. Do you have an old phone you want to trade in? No. Do you want to buy Apple Care? No. <laughs> and it took me like five minutes to realize I, I had to mention that. And then, and then the option finally showed up to, to check out with it. Tried to put in my Touch ID, and it didn't accept it. I found out later on... It, it wasn't looking at the information you put on the app. If you agree to Touch ID, it doesn't look at the information you put in the Apple Store app. It refers to the information you put in the settings for Touch ID, of which everything was blank. I never put my address in Touch ID. I never needed to until then. And it took me like 15 minutes to realize that. And, and yes, the store was running slow because there was a rush of orders. Short answer is, yes, I got the model I ordered. And I'll apparently get it in time. Shipped here next Friday. And yes, I had the option to pick it up at the Apple store close to here. But I didn't opt to take it because, you know, it's 2020. At last report, if you are still in the market to purchase one, well, first of all, you, there probably aren't, isn't many now because everybody who would have wanted it right away have probably already placed their pre-order. But for what it's worth, all the standard models seem to still be readily available for next Friday. However, if you're interested in the Pro model, which the big hook of the Pro models, if you're willing to pay for it, is just an advanced camera, which would be perfect if you're an influencer we're not, because who really listens to us? A videographer or a pro photographer, that would be geared towards you. But, you know, you have big Apple fans who are into that. I guess I'm sort of one as well. Uh, Mike, I think you missed something on the iPhone Max. Oh, what's that? Uh, 
it's 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 um it's, it's required for all influencers um specifically you <laughs> instagram influencers because the because the three camera cut on the back if you're an instagram influencer and you're taking an image and we don't show those three cameras and we know you're not an influencer well yeah what the hell do i know right <laughs> couldn't afford that i mean as i said it's their jam and in many respects that's they need it for their work. So who am I to really argue? The funny part is, first of all, the other key difference between the Macs and the standard iPhones is really the screen as well. The screen is the same overall technology, but the screen on the Pro models are actually brighter. Like the nit count is actually much higher on the pro phones, even though the screen technology is exactly the same. And on top of that, there's actually a sm slight difference between the cameras and the Pro Max and the Pro. The Pro Max are the absolute top cameras. There's a slight difference in terms of the optical zoom, I believe. I'm not totally first in those details, but I know if you are that type of high-level influencer, Mohammed, you're probably waiting for, I think it's November 6th, that's when the pre-orders for the max yeah the, the, the max the max is a different uh op, um uh, processor chip for the images like mm -hmm. their image their image chip is, is slightly different than the uh than the pro it's so mm -hmm. dumb too because like the difference isn't that significant even if you're a professional user it still isn't that dramatic of a difference it's just i think they were saying the difference being like 2x versus 2.5x on the optical zoom which is like come on guys <laughs> Well, as I said, there are people whose livelihoods depend on it. Who am I to really argue their re the reasoning, right? I, I will say this. I do like in the whole um, monthly payment system they have now. Uh, Apple's really pushing that, which is pretty cool. That's in the States. Yeah, true. Canada's... Uh, That's in the States. Can what, the hell is, what the hell does Canada get? Justin <laughs> Trudeau. We get nothing. It's Justin Trudeau. Oh, man. I, 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 no I comment. Will... <laughs> wait, wait, what are you gonna say? Say, say it now. Say it now. No, there's this 22 minute video I saw about Justin Trudeau uh, putting up a job posting for. Uh, I'm, I'm putting quotes here because we're on a podcast, but air quotes storyteller. So Justin Trudeau is hiring a lead storyteller for the Liberals. Yeah, that's come on. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I'll tell you more after the phone gets in in, in a couple weeks. I guess I'll see it in a couple weeks. Yes, I can afford it. Okay. Well, let's get right to the bullets. What's the typical introduction we use for the bullets? Gunshots, right? Don't we use gunshots? Where's no, the gunshot the gunshot animation? Nope. That's, that's not That's not the uh, metaphor we use. It's more like these are little things that might become big things, or we present these in point form, but they could become an essay. Okay, where do we want to start with the bullets? James, Kevin, I know this is more your jam. Or should I just pick one right, right off the top? Just something. Well, let's go old because there is a story about Sentai receiving more Cool Japan funding. That was a couple weeks ago, actually. Yeah, that was interesting. We were talking about it. It was interesting, some of the little nuggets that came out of that one. So as you said, they received 
I think 400 million yen, which equates to um, 3.6 million U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. And also they said that John Letterford, the owner, obviously, of Sentai, is also putting some of his money uh, towards Sentai as well, so making some additional funds as well. And so uh, these additional funds, I think they said, are basically for strategic and operational changes and stuff like that and to adapt for uh, COVID-19 because obviously they do dubs uh, in-house, so they're probably setting everything up so they can do uh, dubs remotely and stuff like that from people's houses and other things like that. And then obviously they were talking about uncertainties in the market and then just to remain uh, competitive uh, given the fact that they're up against two Goliaths in uh, Funimation that has Sony behind them. And, of course, uh, Country Roll that has Warner uh, behind them at the moment. I'm going to say that they put that money to good use because uh, they licensed the newer Blade of the Immortal anime series. Yeah, that was interesting because, yeah, the and it wasn't the old one that Media Blasters released. Uh, this one was on Amazon. And that one was interesting, too, because they said they didn't just get the home video releases that'll come out in uh, winter 2021, but they're going to have, they said it will stream uh, the anime on select digital outlets, which means they'll be able to stream maybe on High Dive or other places, not just on Amazon, which is rare. Usually they only get the uh, home video rates for the Amazon uh, licenses. And that was a yeah. fairly new one, too, because that was started out fall of 2019, and it was 26 episodes. Yeah. So that was a fairly new uh, pickup, because I know we were hoping for other ones, like, for example, uh, Vinland Saga, but we're like, well, we'll have to wait, because that's just how it's been with the uh, Amazon uh, pickups. And that one, too, is interesting, because uh, for uh, the creator, of course, he had that came out and then after in the spring of this year they then did his newer work that Funimation picked up uh, Wave Listen to Me which you talked about mm -hmm. which we talked about on the show it's just interesting that Sentai just keeps getting the odd influx and a lifeline of sorts remember we've talked about this in the past about the hesitancy of a lot of production companies to want to deal with Netflix. And then pretty sure that that feeling also exists concerning Funimation and Sony and Crunchyroll and Warner Brothers. They just, you know, want a few more options for, for overseas licensing. The interesting thing, uh, I guess, about uh, what Sentai announced is we wondered, uh, while well, they've been releasing uh, all these re-releases the past year and some of them have been redubbed of course uh, and we're like well they have to have more and stuff like that because they haven't been licensing as much so how could they be doing financially it can't look good but since they're a private company they never usually uh, you don't reveal those details but in this release they did which was interesting because they said they recorded better financial results in 2019 than the previous year and so this is for medium and long-term growth, they said. So they obviously have a plan, and it'll be interesting to see how they hit their goals for 2020, since obviously everyone recalibrated and they can just say, well, our results suck because COVID. 
Yeah, that's true. It's COVID will, it's the inverse of that whole idea. Well, when times are really good, you don't, you, you kind of know where I'm going with this. Keep forgetting. I can't get the right meta. I can't get the right metaphor here. I, 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 I do. It's the whole idea of the, uh, in, <laughs> in good times, it's easier to do good than it is to do bad and bad times is something. It's, it's, it's something about business. Good times. Yeah. Bad and this times. is the, this is the complete opposite, right? Yeah. This is the complete o- inverse of that thought. It looks really bad, but how bad is it really? Is it because it's really bad or is it because it's COVID? It's 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 tough, man. It's so tough because like it, it, a lot of companies. I mean, if I'm if I was in their position, I would I'd blame everything on COVID. But look at uh look at other streaming services like 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 Quibi and so forth, right? Like your shit didn't work, so just blame COVID. Like that's 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 the go to. Yeah, well, Quibi's and the thing is, it's weird because streaming services seemingly have done okay in all of this. I wouldn't say that, buddy. <laughs> I know, I know. You would like to think, but it hasn't been that way. I mean, theoretically, you know, everyone's home, so everyone's watching stuff. So you think a streaming service would make more money, but I don't know, man. Netflix is canceling shit left and right. You know, uh, I know, it's, I know. <laughs> it's well, hard to say. Yeah, here they're changing. Hard to say. Things, still, really, in the states too for Netflix too, like the thirty day. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and then Netflix, of course, announced this uh, last week their hiking prices as well, especially in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, in Canada. Oh, I know I'll notice it. Okay. Let's see. Let's go with another one here. Oh, okay. Eva. Eva made a bunch of news over the last week for different versions of it. You said we were going to talk about hopeful things, and you know Eva is just so hopeful, right? Oh, yeah. Well, which part of the story do we want to talk about? Uh, The TV series being picked up by G-Kids or the announcement of the final movie? A final movie? What's the under and over on it ever being released in theaters? Ooh. Well, next year. Well, we, I think, I think we have a better chance year, right? of this one compared to the other ones we've talked to because it's coming to Japanese theaters January 23rd. Now, hopefully they'll hit that day. And we've heard the Japanese theaters, they've been easing their restrictions, especially with the new Demon Slayer uh, movie coming out. So they'll have people packed in the seats and we've seen... Uh, that they've uh, gotten good oh, numbers yeah. for their anime films released recently, like uh, Violet Evergarden coming out next year, too. and for the third Fate movie. Like, you look at those numbers, and it's like, oh, they're not doing quite the same thing we're doing in theaters. And I saw how their uh, seats look compared to ours. It was almost like that photo you've been seeing, and they did another one, I think, in the last few weeks of the Maid of the Mist, and they showed the one from the States in New York, and they're packed. And then they show the one from oh, yeah, Niagara those. Falls in Canada, and they're all spaced out. I'm just imagining that when I see like those half a photos. Dozen people. Yeah, though that was like that was like a photo from the summer. Yeah, they said they did yeah, it. Yeah, it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder because uh, they did announce that the Demon Slayer movie will be coming out next, early next year in North America, and I believe I believe the third Fate's Day Night Heaven's Feel movie is still intended to be coming out in theaters here as well so yeah they said uh, for that uh, one they're doing the first two again like as one you can watch together and then they're also doing that third movie uh, separately but they're only they haven't said anything about virtual screenings for anaplex they've just said physical uh, theater releases in the states and i'm sure it'd be similar 
for Canada, but then it's the over-under. Is that really going to happen? Because not as many people as we know have went to the theaters. And, of course, some regions are closing down like we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be surprised if any movie is released before summer 2021. Unless you're being honest. Like, seriously, I feel, I feel like any, even anything that's being announced for December, January, like, we're saying that stuff now, when the numbers get real bad in, like, November, December. You think uh, it'll get that way? Oh, 100%. Like, if, if everything's slightly increasing now. We're going to reach some kind of tipping point in, like, mid to late November. By December, we're going to see full lockdowns. Because everyone's going to be like, well, it's December. Everyone should be locked out anyways. And then... There goes your movie premieres, guys. I'm just saying it's it's not going to happen. <laughs> but as we know, they're probably going to be looking at it from the Japanese perspective, and so they're probably going to get their January premiere for the last Ava movie finally, and they'll get to enjoy it. But as you said, uh, we probably won't, and they're probably because Studio Kara being Studio Kara, them controlling the whole kit and caboodle, they're going to say, "F it, we want it in theaters, no virtual option," and it's just going to be in limbo. You know, I- there was this article recently about Marvel and their investors and how they're having this big argument between uh, in-theater and pushing everything to streaming. And and it seems like the argument is divided based on age. The older generation wants theaters. Younger generation doesn't want theaters. Uh, it, 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 I feel like at some point, the, the theaters aren't just going to, they're not going to work. Like all those old people are going to be like, you're, you're losing money. Just, just push it to streaming. It's it's dumb. You, you <laughs> it's, know what? When you make me hear that, it, it, that that article is based on oh the Black Widow uh, being well. It's really about Disney Plus, isn't it? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. what should the strategy be for Disney moving forward? Should they focus more on that on Disney Plus because it could drive more viewers? I guess the Mulan experiment they were happy with. Yeah, and they charged a premium oh. for that too. As we talked about, that was crazy. Well, now it's on other services. You can purchase it on iTunes, albeit for 35 Canadian. But at least you don't have to have the prerequisite of the Disney Plus membership to go with it. $7 a month. Or it's $8 it, a month. If you ask me, there's, there's, it's the way of the future when movie, with movies in general. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but like, this is not anime related, sorry. But Coming to America, that Eddie Murphy movie, they made a sequel to it. Yes. Uh, for like $30 million. And instead of having it be in theaters this summer or this winter, uh, they sold it to Amazon for $130 million. Amazon has the yeah, money. And you, oh, definitely, 100%. And then they're just going to stream it on their platform, and that's going to be it. I feel like any movie right now that's been made, it's in the can, it's ready to go, anything that's going to be like, oh, we need to put it in the theater, nah, sell it to some streaming company for whatever the amount of money you would have made. Yeah, they the have. Yeah, they have money. How real it is, who knows? Yeah, but Netflix, <laughs> HBO Max, Amazon, Amazon, just like you mentioned. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah I'm, there's there yeah. Disney Plus. There are options, and yeah. they're looking for material to add. But we've seen yeah. the divide is real. That's for sure. Like you said, Mo, because we saw it at the Academy Awards with people like Steven Spielberg and them poo-pooing uh, anything that was on the streaming should be nominated for awards and stuff like that so it makes me wonder do you cancel that all now because most of them were probably put through streaming now no you know you don't can't you don't cancel anything you keep it just the way it is and just anytime anyone old makes a fuss about movie theaters just be like okay boomer and let's move on it's sort of like 
the any did you do you guys ever heard of the cable ace awards way back like from the 80s i believe it was yes an award as the name implied to celebrate cable tv not broadcast television that ended but now the emmys themselves which were meant to just celebrate broadcast tv it also allows you know shows from hbo showtime etc and the way I always looked at the inclusion of HBO stuff or those shows, cable shows, is it made for an almost unlevel playing field when it came to awards, which really don't put too much stock in awards. I mean, you look at how the Oscars have been in past years. You know what? You know who says that about awards? When people say, don't worry about the awards, the awards don't mean anything. People who don't the win, losers. the losers the say losers. that. Exactly. Yes. Awards, but, <laughs> awards still matter, people. But... Here, the thing is, it made it made for a kind of unlevel playing field because you have your broadcast standards that the NBCs, the CBSs, the ABCs have to face, and then they are, they're up against shows from HBO, which don't have the same restrictions. What you can get away with on Game of Thrones on HBO, you can't get away with putting the same thing on ABC. Oh, no, I, I I totally get it. So like like Game of Thrones and HBO, and then like This Is Us on whatever the network they're on. I get um, it, but, but at the same time, that's just. I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, that's just like either we lower HBO to the network standards, or we elevate everything on the network standards up to HBO, which we can't do. It's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah, it's so that's why I said that's why I just can't put too much stock in Yummies. For that reason. It, it, usually the Emmys happen at the same time as Sunday Night Football, so... Yeah. Hmm. Okay, quickly, on the EVA television series, it got picked up by and G-Kids. I, I said this... Well. And the two original movies. I said this from the outset. G-Kids didn't, doesn't strike me as the type to be interested in taking in a television show. Lots of features, Yes. Uh-huh. But I never thought of them in terms of taking in a, a television. I don't think anime. it's too That's surprising. Surprise. Okay, there, I have two diverging points. Why is it surprising? Why is it not surprising? Well, it's only surprising because I don't recall them having picked up a Japanese anime TV series. But it makes sense because, oh yeah, but because it is Evangelion. It makes sense for this to be picked up at all because it's Evangelion. Has the cat mm-hmm. yeah, Well, that's, I guess that's a big part of it. It's Eva, right? And supposedly, I believe well, the head of G Kids was the one that personally he said negotiated this himself with Studio Kara and stuff like that. So, are we going to hear Fly Me to the Moon in this version? We have to, right? It's not standard. Um, it remains on Netflix, Netflix because version. of the estate uh, of that. And I mean, that, that's just the punchline for me. I'm I'm going to guess it's. I, I'm going to guess it's going to be whatever has been on Netflix. It's that translation that we end up seeing. It's interesting news. Well, if if what you're saying is true, well, actually, I have no reason to think it's not true, but. Given what you've told us about 
the G Kid's head, negotiating for Evangelion himself. I would like to think that this person cares enough to at least try and have that included. But license. The cost will be high. So we will see. And then there's the question can they get that original dub from ADV? Because of course, ADV, since it was a mid-90s dub, they might have the rights to that and stuff like that. And we do know that Studio Kara, they went and redubbed it for Netflix and it, they made certain changes to translation because they demanded certain things and they've become very hands-on with this property and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see what they're allowed to do. But we do know that it's coming next year. And we also know there's going to be a special Ultimate Edition because I think they're working again with uh, Anime Limited, just like they did for Promare, and just like they did for Weathering with You, to get out uh, an Ultimate Edition or Special Edition to do uh, this type of property justice along with uh, the regular edition. I don't think the ADV dub will be on this release. Just a gut feeling. We've had this conversation before about the fate of the ADV dub. So, yeah, I, I'm inclined to believe you, Kevin. I suspect it'll be a five-centimeter situation. I think oh, okay. time will tell. Yeah, we'll I see mean, how it goes. It. But you're hopeful, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, Bone, to fly me to the moon. But the other stuff, that's like, well, if it's there, that's great. But we'll see how it goes. Hey, hey that means maybe there's still some value in the ADV versions. Yeah. But you like never them. know. They could People do it like as it's only on the um, collector's edition or something like that. You know what I mean? To drive people to that. A la Gundam Seed. Yeah, you could do something like that. Or, or a la Escaflone. Oh, yeah. But thinking about, as we said, the one TV series that G-Kids had done before, it was a Ghibli property. It was um, Goro Miyazaki, and it was uh, Ranja, the robber's daughter. That was the one that they had uh, released before and stuff like that. But considering that they had, you know, a, a long Ghibli relationship or a burgeoning G Ghibli relationship, I guess that makes and sense. Remember, Ano and Miyazaki, they are very friendly to with each other, and they, you know, what I mean, like a very big relationship. So if Ano is like, well, who should I license this to, my baby to, and stuff like that, I bet you he would say G Kids. If he asked about G Kids, he'd say, yeah, G Kids is one you'd want to go with because G-Kids has been good to Ghibli and stuff like that, doing the constant theater promotions and keeping their stuff in print and giving it the prestige release, unlike what Disney did, even though Disney was the biggest thing in animation and they are supposed to be showcasing animation. They just didn't showcase it as much as we would like to have hoped on the Ghibli library when they had it. Yeah. There's, there's something there. So the connection kind of helped i guess possible okay all right well let's see let's go for a couple more here maybe one or two more okay we talked at length last night and i know this is kind of going off the off the board a little bit how do he another another light novels coming out it, it was announced for a physical edition next year I think a digital version is set to come out very soon of the late of the latest Haruhi Suzumiya light novel. 
You want to talk about that one? Of course. Um, there isn't too much to add. Like, it, it's just a thing. It's just, it's been nine years since the last one came out. Lots have changed, obviously, in the publishing world here. No guarantee that there'll even be a hardcover, from what because, I can gather. Yeah, it was no announcement of a hardcover. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how they feel about that. Because, yeah, it was like a sister company because it was Little Brown Company. And then I think it was kind of pre-Yen on with Yen Press that did the paperback and stuff like that. And the hardcover had the original Japanese covers. And then the light te- the paperback had these more North Americanized uh, cup, uh, covers, kind of like less is more sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see how those are released because they're going to be releasing or re-releasing through uh, Yen Press, the original nine novels and stuff like that, uh, to a month till they get to uh, the new novel, which is going to be a very quick turnaround because it's next month in Japan, and then it's going to be, I think, around June or May for uh, the English edition in print. And we've talked June. a length yeah, about June next year. Well, June twenty twenty first. Yes, wasn't the digital set to come out pretty soon too? Around the same time? Yes, they did say that. It will come out digitally at the same time as Japan. Which is late November, the 25th. Yeah, so November 25th, uh, it trips in Japan for intuition as Harry Suzumi and then Yen Press will publish digital English on the same day. And so that's an interesting thing because we always remember Japan's aversion to getting those digital versions out and stuff like that. So that's incredible that they're able to get more of those same-day things. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't always the case. My line was, well, these things are, you know, we know the, that these things can be complicated to translate. Well, the translation apparently is out there already. will be coming out at the same time. Sorry, and they're ahead, probably please. working uh, together on that because, remember, Yen Press is owned... Uh, partly by Katakawa and stuff like that. And that's a Katakawa property for Haruhi. So basically, okay. they probably had a way longer timeline and heads up so that they can get that translation, get that same day digital uh, release. So that's some of the benefits, as we know, of yeah. uh, having uh, that Japanese investor, of course. And mm-hmm. Nine years on. But then the- Nine years on, would there be interest? Sorry, go ahead, finish your thought, and then we can answer that that question. I guess the last thing, and I know Kevin and me were thinking about, is we had forgotten there was one short story in the last uh, Haruhi novel they released, uh, Surprise, which they did not release. Yeah, volume 10. Yeah, after, I think it was after the rain or rainy day. Yeah, yeah. I think people said it was called rainy day, but it could have been something like that. And so now it's like, do they re release that in the re release of Surprise? Or because the new one's going to be short stories and that, you can just plug it in to the new one for intuition. Yeah, I guess they just couldn't release it for whatever reason. Or maybe it happened after it got published. I don't know. Because it wasn't surprised. It wasn't the actual book, they said, or from what I heard. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I haven't gone that far. So, I mean, I've long had the hardcover sitting here, but yeah, it was one of those things I haven't gone around to. Like Kimmy Gordon Road. Actually, the only one is sitting beside Kimmy Gordon Road here. Sorry, go ahead. And another interesting bit about this is that on Twitter, Yen Press confirmed that the reprint will use the animated covers, like with Noisy Ito's character designs. 
I think it's Noisy Ito's character designs, and uh, will not the color blocked versions from Little Brown will not be coming out, but for the new novel coming out in June, they will release a color blocked version of that in limited quantities. If you want to buy that version for consistency's sake. Hmm. Who knows? Okay, my question now is nine years later. It's been nine years. Interest? You think there'll be interest? Like in oh, yeah. I think they'll still be. Well, there, you, the demand there, Mike, the demand there, mm-hmm. those hardcovers can go for 80 to over $100 a piece right now. There's demand. Each volume? Yes. Each volume? I can sell my hardcover set for probably eight to 900 bucks if I really wanted to. Wow, that's kind of you insane. Went. I didn't think they actually appreciated it because remember back then we were thinking, do we really want to buy a hardcover just for the anime cover? And now you're like, wow, it really appreciated that much. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Interesting way to put it. What about the paperback? Would they appreciate? Probably not, right? I think they did. I, I don't think... Actually, I'll quickly check right stuff, but... Uh, those hardcovers are definitely out of print. All of them. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Haruhi. Okay, we can check this and then we'll go to the last last couple ones, okay? And the anime re-release did fine, I imagine. Okay. I have to like look this up yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that more re-release was done by Funimation and stuff like that, so... They went through all those Katakawa USA titles like a few years ago and then picked up those ones that got lost when they stopped releasing and that was like Gosek and also um, other ones I remember. Like so on right stuff, uh, the only volumes available are volume 8 of the color blocked soft covers and volumes 2 and 3 of the hard covers. So that pretty much says all of it's really? out of print until it starts again in uh, January. Yeah, so three paperback color blocks, was it? Sorry, volume eight of the color block version is still yeah. available on mm-hmm. right stuff, and then volume three of the hardcover, and possibly volume two, because it's out of volume two hardcover is out of stock right now. Listed as expecting more. Yes, yeah. I see it now. Okay, so the color block is... Okay. So you'd have to hunt if you really want those originals and stuff like that. Yeah. They may end up in my Noma Noichi. Okay. Well, let's go one more, maybe. Maybe one more tonight. Fist of the North Star. What do you want to say about Fist of the North Star? Apparently the manga has been re-licensed. Just got announced today. Was announced today. Okay, who has it? Viz. Because it is a Shueisha property. But then again, I believe Tetsuo Hara just owns that outright now under his own company, if I'm not mistaken. I don't not hundred percent sure how that works, but I, that's mm-hmm. what I recall. Gutsun and Raijin. I mean, we were taught we were talking off air about that, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, and they also did City Hunter too, and that one was Hojo, mm-hmm. the creator of City Hunter, was involved. And that and stuff like that. So that's how I think they got yeah, to the North, North Star way back in the day as well. Yeah, that's just weird. It's just Gutsun and Raijin was the company that would have done Fist of the North Star out here, right? Back then. Correct. 
we're saying back then because I think it went under the better part the early of aughts. before early aughts. 2004, it says here. Really? Slam Dunk is, Slam Dunk would have been in this too. This like when you think about when I think about Gutsoon, I sort of, like it sort of reminds me of what I guess Discotech is now. You know, Gutsoon was set to release a whole load of what was then old titles. Yeah. Well, they're old and still old now, right? 80 Shonen Jump and Fist stuff of the like North that. Star. classic titles, and that's why Hojo was behind yeah, it. City Hunter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking at the titles that, that, that they were set to, that they had. Fist of the North Star, City Hunter, Slam Dunk. Well, uh, Slam Dunk has fallen from grace. Backy the Grappler. I mean, we can go on, like, wow, these are these are old titles, but, you know, at the time, people really wanted them. And it's Fist of the North Star, so... We know this will get something. Well, whether people really wanted them was debatable since none of those did particularly well and they all got canceled as a result. Well, some of it could in, be distribution, in Nor- maybe, and other things. Because yeah, it I, I, was, remember, you were getting big gluts going into the bookstores and they didn't have exactly the connections of some of the other guys. They were a smaller operation. I tend to go lean on that because part they the talk about one of the bigger ones being Diamond and Diamond can well, only Viz picked up so Slam Dunk in the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, Slam- Viz did get Slam Dunk as well. Yeah, they oh, yeah, did. Right. They, they got a lot of. Those oh, yeah, they eventually titles. did put it out. I my suspicion, my suspicion that it was an obligation release. Or to get t- taken Fist of the North. That's Star? my suspicion. Well, I think some of no, I mean that. Uh, they felt obligated to put Slam Dunk out because it, it was one of the seminal Shonen Jump titles of the 90s. And plus, they were putting out Vagabond by him as well. Mm-hmm. And Real. So, I feel like they kind of were forced to do it. Because sometimes that happens where they, they kind of feel obligated to put out certain titles. Yeah, go to a back catalog title that a creator has already had. And it's like after they've got that feel for the newer work, they go back and release the older ones sometimes. Especially if it's a seminal or okay. yeah. dunk. But as we said too, Fist of the North Star, I think also they had built the audience through, uh, as we talked about, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which also had a hardcover release. And they're going to do a hardcover of this for Fist of the North Star. So I think they've built that type of audience before with JoJo and hope some of those will come on to Fist of the North Star. Because some of those people that love JoJo have definitely transitioned and bought in some of those North Star stuff, especially from uh, Discotech, I know. Whether it's big enough, hmm. we'll see. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier, James, and I feel like this is a bit of a riskier play from them because Viz usually waits until there's real demand for something before it comes out, more often than not. So... In the case of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, it flopped the first time around when it was in the regular Shonen Jump line, in the regular like book trim. It wasn't until the anime came out and blew up, finally blew up, that they even bothered putting out the JoJonium editions. And it wasn't until probably after Season 2 before like those Jojonium editions finally came out here. They waited a while. But I guess they feel so they that's why I found the test through that. Intriguing. 
even though it would make more sense, as you said, maybe start digital before you commit to printing the books. And like I said, Viz has a history of kind of waiting for things to be like successful before putting them out because they waited quite a while before putting out Demon Slayer. And they waited quite a while for Act Age, and then look what happened there. But it wasn't <laughs> until like it was when when Demon Slayer came out here for the first time through their like jumpstart initiative, they didn't put it out. It it got canned. Like they decided not to pursue it any further, but then it stayed in Japan. It continued and it grew popular enough that they decided to start putting it out after all. And then it exploded, and then now we're seeing the Demon Slayer coming out once a month until its completion. Well, as they say, if the wave starts to form, you might as well ride it, right? Because I was thinking, I was thinking, what this would never come out unless there was an anime. But glad to be wrong in this case. Oh yeah, I haven't mentioned Yakuza yet. Well, there. Is, remember, there is a game from the creators of Yakuza based on Fist of the North Star as well. They also announced they're re-releasing number five by Taiyo Matsumoto, which was a terrible seller for them back in the day, and reportedly the worst selling title for Viz. But now that we're seeing more Taiyo Matsumoto works out in English now, and I guess he is considered more of a legacy slash revered creator because they did put out a uh, ping pong finally and then there was tech on king create and sunny came out and and so i guess they deemed that there is a market for tayo matsumoto again after all this time think, in recent years so they're giving another shot I think for him kevin though how they're doing it is it's just similar to um junji ito where Nothing was going right and stuff yep. like that. And then they finally found the niche of people like that comic book highbrow type uh, person, the people that go to the indie comic events like Toronto Comic Con and stuff like yes. that. And it just grew yeah, and grew and it grew big enough that it was profitable for them. For like, look at Junji Ito basically dead in the water. Then they started doing those pristine hardcovers, maybe one a year. Now we're up to like three a year. And one of the announcements was another one for him for next yes. year in the summer. And that's going to be number two. So they're definitely doing three a year of the hardcover pristine. And they were doing that for, now I don't think they did it for ping pong, but they did it for the one shots for um, Matsumoto for some of his manga. And I think, wasn't Matsumoto, I believe he was at TCAP at one point, one year, from what I remember. So I yep. could see him in the I have a volume of, yeah. Because I remember I got something signed by him from one of them. So I think it's similar set of fans to Ito and stuff like that. That's how they yeah. marketed him and some of those authors on the Viz signature line. I have a volume of Sunny autographed by Taiyo Matsumoto. I think, what was that? I have that one where, remember, now I can't remember which one it is, Kevin, you might remember, where it has that cardboard sleeve over top of it, and it's um, a hardcover and stuff like that. I forget what it was. Pick on Kingry was technically soft cover, but it had a slip cover for their deluxe omnibus. But I remember but, that's why I got signed. Um, I can't even remember. It had, like, 
I think it was like two kids or whatever. And it's like a monster type thing, like on the cover. And it's like more deformed, but oh, it's Go Go Monster. Go Go Monster. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least we there's a there's something to talk about there. Oh, and uh, very quickly, uh, they did also they confirmed print releases for Undead Unlock and Mashal, which are two of uh, the more recent successes for Shonen Jump. Uh, looks like in Japan, they're really trying to push Undead Unlock. Uh, I think it's okay. I don't think it's that great, but uh, they don't have a lot of new, good new content lately because of all the series that ended this year, but eh, it's okay. Mashal's good, though. But what about uh, someone... Mashal's like the new One Punch Man for me. Someone was trying to get me to read Kevin... It's like a new one that just came out a few months ago on Shonen Jump, and I think they brought here was the um, one where it's like the buddy cop Shonen Jump uh, title of Dolphin Head Guy, and then this other guy that was ah, fired yes. because he's just this badass cop. It's like, and it feels so 80s yes. for me. It feels like something out of the 80s. It's kind of crazy. It could have been yeah, a that's hard, Jump that's hard world cop and dolphin. Yeah, hardboard cop and dolphin. Yeah. Uh, it's by the creator of Beelzebub. Okay, that one's fun. I hope, I hope that one uh, makes it because I I feel like that's that creator's last chance. Because someone was telling me they thought it was a fun little ride that they've read so far, and they hope he can has enough in him that they'll allow him to continue because it's just so weird, especially in Shonen Jump. Now it feels like something that would have been way back in the eighties, even maybe. Hmm. I enjoy yeah, that one too. Uh, it's like a modern Kochikame, I think. Wow, there's in a, a sense, name from the past. In a sense, like not not entirely the same, but in the sense that there's no cop series anymore. Hmm. Okay, well, I guess that's almost it. Oh, by the way, uh, I guess before we end tonight, first of all, uh, you guys have any movie plans? Or do you want to talk about that? Or we just skip it? Are we really gonna go watch the Lupin movie, <laughs> James? Because, uh, yes, as mentioned, you, yes, the movie theater is part of this. We're going to see it, not in the western suburbs, not Halton region, and it, there lies a there lies a cineplex that could be show, that is showing the Lupin movie. You guys are planning? You guys seriously planning to go? Well. If we're going to be the only ones there, that, that's a distinct possibility, then I don't mind. <laughs> well, I know, I, know, I know Mo has had that habit, but... It looked like that's I what's happening. I don't know. No one's bitten on any tickets, but I don't think anyone wants to buy a ticket because it could be shut down in a flick of the finger. Well, yeah, yeah. that could certainly happen now. Uh, if we go, going. it would be... That would be purchased the day of if we go. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go, enjoy. I don't know. Uh, probably any listeners the will Bogo. say, don't, don't do it, don't do, it. Now. don't do it. Buy one, get one free. That's how- buy one, get one. Yeah, I know there's a buy one, get one free sale. I think oh, the, the one people only are thinking That's about are ones where we know are. the release is going to be way, way out and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting more to see what happens for people and the third Fate Stay Night movie if 
theaters are still mm-hmm. open or some are still open come November. Okay. Well, see, and meanwhile, I'll stay at home, probably, tra- probably getting at least a volume complete of the Kimikori Orange Rogue manga. Well, on that note, yes, I bought on the Kickstarter, just going back to that. But I told you back then, I bought both the books physically and a digital copy. So I'm reading the digital copy right now. Okay. On the note of digital copies, I just sent a link to you guys. Humble Bundle's at it again. And on the topic of... Oh, I of, saw that. On the topic of, topic of horror manga, that's one of their and bundles. It's another Kodansha bundle and stuff like that that they teamed up with them. And I, I do agree. There's a lot of good titles in there and stuff like that. But nothing that makes me go, I'm going to get this bundle. Because some of them I do have physically and I'm happy with what I have. Mm, this it, I mean, Call me a little curious, but then I have an iPhone to pay for. <laughs> I'm debating on getting it at least for the second tier because I do want to read Kasane. Okay. And I was going to say, you can get all of Dragon's Head there too if you go to the second tier and stuff like that. And that's been out of print since Are forever. these complete series? Just for reference, are these complete series? Uh, Kasane is complete, uh, as is Dragon Head. Now, Inspector the- is still going on, so that's not going to be complete. Sankara? Yeah, Inspector. Inspector. And then Inuyashiki is going to be complete, I believe. Inuyashiki's good. Yeah, it's fun. Hopefully the anime comes over. That was one from Amazon, too. Okay, so in some ways... Yes and and no. And and then there's a Junji I think, is complete as well. The original one, because there supposedly is a sequel series called Princess Resurrection Nightmare, which... Yeah, because that was one of the Kodansha titles that got canceled when uh, when they made the Delray transition. And they do have Happiness. Mm. Happiness is complete. They have some interesting one-offs uh, uh, in the final one uh, from Jinji Ito, which is his cat manga, which is kind of fun to read. I've read it. The Yawn and Moo, which is about his cats in real life. And mm. Princess Resurrection and Princess Resurrection Nightmare yep. are listed and here. And then Dissolving oh, so Classroom, of course. Okay. And, then, and then Dissolving Classroom. So these are all interesting-looking titles. They stuck the Jinji Ito titles at the end because they knew yeah, of people course. would probably want to get those. And Mark. so they stick them in the, at the highest possible tier card. Way to go. Way to go. Well, 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 well played, dude. Well played. But uh, it's to consider, and this goes for, well, we're taping this on, pretty much, we're taping this on the, uh, on the 17th, and there's another 18 days to go on this. And as we said before, even the top tier and stuff like that, it, it is a good amount of manga for the price they're charged, just a matter are you interested in stuff like that. So. And the short answer is, probably some are. I know, as I said, it has my attention. That's why I, I wanted to bring it up to you guys. What do you know about this? these titles? Oh, I know. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. good titles yeah, in there, too. but for myself, I probably would pass on this one because I have enough of them in print format that I'm happy with what I just have there. Yeah, and in my case, it's... Let's just say I have 18 days, and I'll use all 18 of them. I'll likely buy it for Kasane. Because I okay. suspect Kodansha will not put that out physically at this point. 
But yeah, there, there the other one I think I remember I said I was interested because there were some titles that were not complete, like they had back for the whole series that was digital, and so that was a slam dunk, and there were some other ones where it's like, okay, I, I want it because we'll never see it like Space Brothers. It's never going to get a physical release. Yeah. There's not as many of yeah. those yeah. in this type yeah. of bundle. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was the last one. The it's last one. Princess Resurrection. Like for in this case, it's Princess Resurrection, which is the main attraction if you didn't complete it or weren't able to complete it. Princess Resurrection could be it. And I, and even Dragon like Head and stuff like that, since it's been on a print for so long and a few others. But. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, we hadn't. This is the first time we're talking about it. Actually, we didn't talk about this on the air, just for just for reference for our listeners. So I, and I kept forgetting to bring it up to you guys. See, but I I knew you guys were at least aware of it, but I never got your thoughts. So now I know. Thanks. And I have to say, this is totally off topic, but kind of Halloween and, related. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, when's our next? When when are we taping again? It will be the night before Halloween when we could probably tape again. But yes, fin sorry, finish the thought. So I read Mermaid Saga last week. Oh man, it's <laughs> it's good. Like on the topic, arguably Rumiko Takahashi's best series. Arguably her best series. Well, considering that's all not named Onikoku. Did you get the Genion oh, yeah. uh, release of that? Well, I know I've spoken to you about this. Mm -hmm. No, uh, I I found I found the old unflipped release used for a good price. Yeah, that was the manga. I think of the anime there. Yeah, the anime's hard to find. Oh, I have I have the anime too, actually. But yeah, cool. But uh, I just never opened. I never opened it. Just didn't didn't feel that interested at the time. But uh, man, it's good. It's pretty bloody too, actually. Yeah. Well. Oh man, good stuff. It's it's, well, it's said, true. Oh, I was gonna say it's true that it's always the short Rumiko Takahashi stuff that's good. Mm hmm Because it's not long winded. Oh yeah, well yeah, but you define short as something under twenty volumes or something. Under fifteen. <laughs> which would put, under fifteen, which would basically put put it around the length of Meizani Koku. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Meizani Koku is a short series. By Rubiko Takahashi. It went only 15. Only 15. Only 15. Well, Rubiko Road only went 18. <laughs> That's what I have to get through. <laughs> well, it's true. Most romantic comedy series, like the sweet spot is 20 volumes and under. Sure. It's true. You look <laughs> oh, at. Yeah, Love you Hina. look at like Pastel, which like only ended like not too long ago, and that went 30, 40 volumes. Uh I even say Nisei Koi went on a little too long at 25 volumes. Oh boy. So thinking in that stretch there, uh Kevin, and we think about Bleach, that might have been a little too long. What about his new series, <laughs> which that has just come out and then has the anime tie-in that came out for the three episodes a few weeks ago? Short or long? Hmm. Bleach should have ended. Bleach should have ended at volume forty-eight to forty-nine. But it'll be interesting to see Burn the Witch. Will they force him to continue on until he can go no more? I think with Burn the Witch. Tite Kubo is working at a pace that suits him, 
So I think he wouldn't mind. Like, he has the time to put that out. I think they're going to give him the time. They obviously are giving a page. push on it since they did that th those three episodes that they released uh, a few weeks ago. So that'll be interesting to see how it all comes together because I think people will come back to it and we'll see how it goes. And hopefully, as you say, they give him the time and stuff like that and don't force him to continue past what he probably wants. Yeah, that's about one way to do it. Okay, I think we've gone long enough. Would you? Well, if you say so, Mike. Well, we have nothing else to really add this to this week, right? I mean, there's a lot. We there's a lot of little stories we well want to talk about, and you know, for the sake of talking about stuff. Yeah, and it is, and you know, pandemic-wise, there's no end in sight. We're stuck here for just a little longer, or just longer, right? I don't know. So maybe by then uh, I, I would have made, uh, personally, I, I think I'll have a few more things to talk about after we're done reading. Hopefully we'll be able to talk with Kat Callahan in the very near future. We have some other things uh, set up in the next couple weeks that we hope you out there will listen to. Are we going to uh, oh, find out more it. about your Yakuza journey uh, there, Mike? Oh yeah, maybe I'll start Kiwami too. As I said, my first my first obligation right now is to get through a good chunk of Kimagori Orange Road. Oh, so I need to finish uh, school still. And you have your stuff too, right? I have fifteen chapters left to read. Uh, yeah. And of course we have all the a bunch of other stuff to deal with. I mean uh, anime outside of the anime realm. So hey, we should get right to it. it. Mohammed, huh? did you finish Gundam Seed, Mohammed? Again, uh, oh, last thing, Mohammed. This is the no, last. No, nah, not yet. I'm like halfway through. It was fun. It just you know, life got in the way. I guess I don't know. <laughs> oh, you got to the part where like they had the big mid season fight, and then like, and maybe Isaac died at that point. That asshole. <laughs> oh boy, maybe I should give a watch of that. Gundam Seed's fun. Hey, but the, aren't, aren't they re-releasing re it soon? Yeah. I think it's next month. Re the remaster, right? Yeah. Screw yeah. uh, right cool. stuff because Sunrise uh, is doing the dumb, doing all that stuff, and then right stuff is doing the production. So right stuff is doing it for North America. And then I think Anime Limited is, are the guys doing it for uh, UK and Ireland stuff. So. Sunrise has oh, set themselves see? up in that because people always wondered what's going to happen to Gundam and they found a way to still pump it out. Mm, as I said, there's stuff to look forward to. We should get right to it then. That's all we got for this episode. Thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. Third take. That's it. Third one more time. I, I just thought of the five centimeters per second ending theme song. One more time. One more chance. Oh no, no, please. That's that's fucking depressing. <laughs>